Three, two. Oh, there it is. Look at that. So do you want me to look at you, look at the camera? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay, you don't care. Three, two, one, and we're live. I'm here with we're Dr. Live. Kroll, Caveman's Corner. Is, Caveman's Corner. We've uh, done this a few times, but is we're back one more. Three now? Three or four. Three or four. It's somewhere around there. It's not one. It's not two. It's not I, five. I called you once, too, so that You that did. I was at 716 when you did that. <laughs> I had to go outside because they were yelling, not because the Sabres were doing well. well it's important that we, uh, you know, we get a talk in while you're at 716. That, of course. It's you know. local podcast. That's well, right. We're here to celebrate our one-year anniversary. We've been in business together for over a year now. Yep, right behind us. Cruel PT and Integrity Martial Arts. Yep. Now performance rehabilitation oh, training. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's right. Cruel PT is the uh, official business name. Um, performance rehab training is the name I go underneath, so I can have the gym. Gotcha. As well. So speaking of the gym, things are not yes. going so well for us at our one-year anniversary. Well, they're not going horribly for me because I can still stay open to some degree. I just can't have the group exercise classes running. And then you can't come in here on your Sundays to do your thing. So that's the part that kind of hurts us. But the rest of my stuff is open and going okay. So what does that include? So that includes the physical therapy and it includes the private personal training. And I kind of mold that into physical therapy because there isn't anybody that comes in that doesn't have a sore back, a sore knee, a sore hip, something that I can work on. They don't have, they don't have some chronic condition that I can take care of. So I work all of that into the PT side of things as well. So that includes everything, right? That you would now... Like, athletes can't get into the gym, so now will probably be the best time to come see you, right? Yeah, because, I mean, every athlete has something going on, you know, that, that they just train through, you know, train through, or they just don't want to skip their training to go see somebody. Now they kind of don't have a choice. Now they're, they're doing Zoom videos or doing things underground and on the side. So now is a really good time to come in and see me. Right, and when you do that, are you going to get a good workout, too, or are you just coming in to do the rehab? Or? It depends. Um you know, I don't, I'm not really as much of a trainer as I am a specialist. So I'm the type of person you come in to see to clean yourself up, make sure you're not screwing yourself up and sort of put you back on the right track. I'm not the person that's going to train you three times a week. That's your strength coaches can do that. Your teammates can do that. You can do that on your own. I'm the person you come in and say, you know, every time I do this, my knee starts to bother me, my hip starts to bother me, or I can't get this position right. I'm stuck at a plateau here in my strength. So what can I do to get past all that? And you don't have to be in debilitating pain to come see a PT. That's kind of the misconception that you have to be in an 8 out of 10 pain or have something completely not work like when you busted your bicep. Yes. You know, you don't have to be in that position. You can be in, I have a nagging pain or something's just not working right. Um, this kind of flows into my belief that PTs really should be at the forefront of fitness, not the strength coaches. We're seen as sort of a rehabilitation side where you go to see us when you're hurt instead of having us bridge the gap between fitness and all the other coaches that are working with you not really pts as a trainer but pts as sort of the quarterback of the whole thing right and that's kind of what all the professional teams are doing now too right i mean you see every ufc video they're working ufc pi uh, you see the nfl they got personal trainers i mean that's pretty much kind of what you're doing right yeah and you can't train if you can't train you can't compete if you're hurt and that's the bottom line and i'm not talking you know everybody goes into a fight hurt i'm talking you're really injured and you can't compete or you're so injured, but you're competing anyway that you're not going to perform as well. And then you're not going to be able to compete in the future. So well, if you rack up three, four losses in a row, you know, you're not going to get the type of fights that you want. The one thing that you, uh, you said to me one time, and I take that 
like I, everything you, you tell me I take really high but this one I, I took because you were like you know if you got something that's nagging and then you work around it you're always going to compensate for that injury mm -hmm. and I had a lot of compensations in my grappling and just working with you a little bit even just that stupid rope drill mm -hmm. helped me so much with my posture and guard right um, just those little things that you cleaned up on me really help a lot and people don't realize that maybe you talk about that a, little, a lot better than I can obviously well what, what I'm doing there is I'm trying to make give you a larger base so you have an athletic base and people kind of stop there when they work on training. So they work on skill, they're on the mat constantly or they're hitting the pads constantly. They work on their athletic movement, they go to the gym, they train, but they don't work any lower than that. They, they tend to drop right down to health when it's a problem. So, hey, I'm really hurt, I have to go way back down to health. But what I do is I give you a little bigger base for your athleticism by making your movement better, making your stability better. That way, when you do try to add these grappling techniques on, when you do try to add some of the strength training on, it sticks a lot better. It's a much better surface. So think of me as someone who's kind of tilling the soil, right? You can have great seeds. You throw them on the ground like this, they're not going to grow. So I tilled the soil. I made sure everything was watered. We threw the seeds down, and they grew a lot better. That's kind of, again, that's what I do, and that's what major sports teams are doing. That's what... Um, high-level athletes are doing, they're working with chiropractors and PTs and massage therapists to make sure that they're in the best possible condition for their athleticism and skill. And when people think about PT, they're probably not thinking about what we did. We did like ladder drills, we did grappling, we did trying to knock each other with ropes. We did all kinds of like innovative stuff for the sport that I do. So you're not like a one-fits-all. Like if you've been to PT, it's not like being with Dr. Grohl. No, and, and that's kind of what I rally against the Oh, you have a shoulder issue? Let me go into the drawer, pull out your shoulder exercises, and here you go. That's garbage, honestly. And, and honestly, if you're seeing more than one patient at a time, it's garbage, too. I tailor things to what you're trying to do, which is why I ask all my patients, what's important to you? What are your goals? What are your activities? I know your activities. I know them pretty well, so I can tailor these things towards it. It's not just a matter of, well, we're going to make sure your shoulder doesn't hurt anymore. We're going to make sure your range of motion is good. Because to be honest with you, you don't give a shit about your range of motion. You really don't. I mean, if, if you're like, hey, my range of motion is 145 degrees in this direction, you don't care. Nobody cares. Does it work when you need it to? That's what's important. So that's when I add those ladder drills in because any idiot with a medicine ball or a ladder can make you tired. That's not hard to do. Just make you do more squats, make you do more push-ups. Think of the, uh, like the integrity challenge. Right. You can pluck a number out of midair and say, hey, we're going to do 1,000 squats, we're going to do 500 squats, we're going to do X amount of push-ups. That will make you tired. That will make you sore. But did it make you a better athlete? Did it make you move better? Got your better condition? Sure, no, no doubt. But did we look at the quality of those push-ups, the quality of those squats, and what do we have to do to make those better? That's where I come in. Yeah, 999 and 1,000 were not good push-ups. Right, and then <laughs> that's, that's the thing. So, you know, I'm a little bit more of a stickler, and one of the things I think is that the sweet spot is kind of between the two of us. So if I was to run a full training paradigm, you would probably think way too conservative. This is not what this person needs if they're going to get into the cage. You run the full training paradigm. I think you're running this person right at the risk of injury. So they're going to, too many of your people are going to drop off from injury and not fight or not fight well. The sweet spot's kind of in the middle, and that's why we have a team. Right. That's why we all work together. It's, I can't lead the entire ship. I quarterback it, but everybody else has their input too. Yeah, and it works out really well, and we're going to continue building that, and I think we're going to have some really good people coming out of our place eventually. Yeah, that, that's the plan, is just to integrate the, the health and the movement side of things to give all of your fighters and all of your jiu-jitsu people, whether they compete or not, a better base. It doesn't matter. You don't have to compete to 
to take advantage of this. Right. And it's just the mentality too. Like it was so hard for me to take that step back and take a day off a of training camp to come see you. And right. like literally we spent an hour and I, well, I would sweat cause you make me stretch. Mm-hmm. So that makes me sweat. But I, I, my cardio was not being challenged, but it helped me so much in camp. And people don't realize how important that is. Well, and, and one of the things too, and without getting too far off on a tangent, we can talk about this on another time. Right. Exercise and activity, which jujitsu is, dance, running, all these things, it has a lot of addictive quality. So a lot of people feel like if I'm not training, if I'm not on the mat, or if I'm not running my X amount of miles today, I'm losing an edge. I have to try to keep that edge as sharp as possible. And that addictive quality tends to push people to trying to be at peak all the time, which is not sustainable. Right. So I try to pull people away from that addiction, which is hard to do. Speaking of getting into the gym, okay. great segue. <laughs> when are we going to be able to get back into the gym with this COVID crap? Well, are you talking about a gym as in lifting gym, Planet Fitness type thing? Or are you talking about a jujitsu gym? I'm talking about every kind of gym, like your exercise class, my choking people. What do you think is going on? So I think the the further apart people are, given the guidelines that have been set down, the closer you're going to be to opening. So if you're a big box gym, like the one I just mentioned, a smaller local gym where people are coming in, doing their own thing, then I think you're closer to opening. If you're close contact, pools, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Thai, I think you're much further away, unfortunately. Are you thinking stage four or are you thinking past stage four? Probably stage four because it seems like stage four, from what I know, is mass gathering. So I don't see much of a difference between having 10,000 people in an arena and having a few people, eight or nine people, rolling with each other. Right. So I think you guys are probably going to be in phase four just because of the proximity of what you guys do. do you it's think, unfortunate, but it is what it is. You think they'll still have you wear masks? When you're actually rolling with each other? I don't know. I, I think all that stuff is going to kind of decline because I think the phase four guidelines are going to be modified as phase three happens. So what we're going to see is people are going to get together, um, small gatherings, small items, um, barbershops. People are going to be doing it without masks, whether they should or not. They're going to be doing it without masks, and we're going to see that, okay, the world didn't end. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense to have people in jujitsu wearing masks. Especially since you're sweating on each other. And right. I thought that if you breathe real heavy with those fake masks on, it doesn't really do anything anyways. Yeah, I mean, the mask is going to become soiled. So um, it's not like people are wearing real N95s or they're wearing face shields or things like that. That's just not practical. So there's a practicality element that's going to come into play. And we can't expect the politicians to know a whole bunch about it. I mean, the politicians really don't know much about MMA in the first place, let alone Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and what it really entails. So they're just going to say... Wear the mask, and you guys are going to say that's ridiculous, and you'd be right. <laughs> so I, th- I think these things will change over time. Do you think they'll actually let us have contact? Because a lot of gyms I see, either you're only allowed contact with your family or you're forced to be six feet apart in the gym with a mask on, and people have geese on and they're, like, hitting bags and stuff. Is that what our jiu-jitsu is going to be in New York for a long time? or what do you think? I don't think so. I don't think for a long time. I, I, it's going to seem like a long time. It, it's almost like when you're sick. You're, you know, you're sick for eight or nine days and time slows down. So you feel like you're sick for about a month and a half, even though it's only a few days. The same thing's going to be with you guys. It's going to suck, but I, I would guess, and don't hold me to this, but my guess would be October, November, you guys will be back to relatively normal. Yeah, it's just time. a long way away and, you know, businesses are bleeding out and that's leading to a whole bunch of other problems, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Right. But, um, yeah, it's it's going to be sooner than you think, but in the moment, it's going to feel terrible. Man, October is a long time away. 
that's just my guess, um, just because, again, there's not a great understanding of what you guys do. I mean, if you're a Taekwondo place and you have people working one-on-one -on -one just hitting a pad or hitting mitts, that's fine. I'm sure that'll work, but that clearly does not work for you guys. Right. Even that is still not in phase two, right? One-on-one -on -one with a trainer. That's That was supposed to originally be in phase two, and that got pushed back. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you know anything about that or... No, I don't know why they pushed it back. It doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why they would push it back, especially if you could, you know, go into a barber shop and be in really close proximity to a person. But did you see what they're supposed to wear? I heard they're supposed to wear uh, face shields or masks, and but the the client has to wear a mask. Yeah, full the entire face time. shield and, and a mask. And, and the, and the uh, client's got to wear a mask. Yeah, the client has to wear a mask, but they have to wear the full face shield. Oh. So, God, I would hate to get my yeah. haircut by someone with a full face. Well, shield. that's why you wear it like you do. You know, so <laughs> do my own. If I did mine, if if I shaved mine down like you, that's how it would look within a day and a half. That's how fast and thick my hair grows. So it would Jeez. not work for me. Poor you, man. I know. Well, hey, I have hair. I'm not complaining. Right. <laughs> so what about the masks? A lot of people ask, does the mask do anything? All I do is see Facebook, like, masks are stupid. We shouldn't even wear them. Well, the, the masks have an effect. They do have an effect. They do stop some of the spread. But it's – is it incredibly effective? No. I tend to think that it leads to other problems. So, you know, one of the things I've, I saw was, you, you know, those motivational posters that offices have. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a site called despair.com free plug for them. <laughs> I don't even know if they're around anymore, but they're called demotivators. And my favorite one, there's this picture of a puddle and it's got a raindrop hitting it. And the, the title is irresponsibility and it says no <laughs> single raindrop believes it's the cause for the flood. So, I think of that when I think of all of these things that are happening with the coronavirus. So there's been two people I've talked to in the last two months that are just about at the point of feeling that if you go outside, you will get coronavirus immediately and you'll be dead in two weeks. And how did they get there? They're reasonable, sane people. But how did they get there? And it's the drip, 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 one thing after another. So if you look at I mean, I got a little list typed out here. Uh, I'm ready I for know. it. So masks. Are masks bad? No. Are they as effective as we want to think they are? No. So when you see the masks and you see the social distancing and you see the media, both mainstream and social, showing pictures of empty shelves and people spread apart and people wearing masks and distressed healthcare workers and scary graphics where they take the stock virus picture and they put it on the news, it's all red. And then they have the scary music leading into it, facts, not fear but you're playing scary music and then the constant exposure to the numbers. So you see, it's almost like the old home shopping network numbers where you see the numbers just keep going up and all of that, when you're exposed to it 24 seven, because you have nothing else to do, it leads people to fear. And it, again, not any one of these things measures are bad, but when they all add up, that's the problem. So you get into constant arguments with people who argue about one particular thing. They're like, well, what's the big deal if I wear a mask? And my stance isn't, I don't have a, problem with the mask in fact my patients and clients come to see me my rule is if you want to wear a mask wear it if you want me to wear a mask I'll wear it if you don't that's fine it doesn't matter to me I don't have a problem with the mask but the forcing people to wear it is just one piece of the puzzle that's leading to this fear and anxiety amongst people does a regular not the n95 mask but a regular cloth mask does that work especially it gets soiled pretty quickly it can get soiled, especially if you're breathing heavily through it, um, if you're wearing it constantly, if you're not taking care of it and maintaining it, if you're not changing it regularly. 
it becomes less and less effective. Doesn't mean it's not effective, it's just less and less effective. Does that have a negative health effect on you? Because I see all the time that bacteria builds up on there and that makes you sick or you can't breathe. Is that true or is that just some internet I, I think it's kind of a reach there. I, I think the mask does more good than harm from the purely stopping the spread instance. So people say, oh, you know, we should wear the mask to stop the spread. I don't think it's a bad idea, but again, it's just the constant overexposure. None of these things are responsible for the fear. They're just a piece of the puzzle. Speaking of threat, there's been a lot of recent studies, I don't know if you've seen any or not, that uh, asymptomatic people do not spread the virus as easily as they originally thought. What do you... I don't know anything about that. So I don't know if asymptomatic people would be spreading it easier, not easier. Um, are they spreading it actually from a mechanical standpoint less than people who are symptomatic or is it that they're going out because they don't feel like they're a problem i feel fine what's the big deal but they're a carrier i don't know so you know right now information is coming so fast and people are clamoring for new information that stuff comes out there and it almost seems contradictory yeah so that's another part of the problem people don't know what to believe the sources that they're supposed to trust like the cdc the government they can't trust them because the information is all over the place. Yeah, even and, uh, CDC and uh, the World Health Organization are both saying different things about masks right now. So it's, right. it's such an interesting time to know who to trust. Right, and I don't think anyone's being malicious or sneaky or there, there's a conspiracy going on. I think it's just information's coming out and it comes from this source here. And then this source here is a different set of information. And I don't think they're being wrong. I think they're just reporting it but the reporting is coming so fast that again you don't know what to believe and you don't know who to trust this is a new virus too it's something that we haven't run into before so right like people are going to research it with their personal biases already involved and mm -hmm. before it gets vetted it's already being released so it's hard to tell what's what because whatever people think that's what the research is going to indicate until other people look at it right there's always a bias and the speed of the research is leading to errors and poor quality research doesn't mean the research is in is not valuable it just means that the quality is lower right. so you have lower ends which is the size of your population that you're testing so it is what it is it's not perfect but we're at least they're trying to get information i just i just don't think people are being sneaky about it so i want to get into <clears throat> the effects of the virus mm -hmm. um i know you've probably lost some facebook friends over this and oh, we yeah. talked about this a few times i'm like Am I stupid? I don't really understand what's going on here because it didn't seem like that serious of a problem to shut down the entire economy for. Yeah, and part of the issue and part of the reason why people are getting upset online is because we have kind of devolved into this binary, binary thing where if you're against all of the measures or any of the measures, then you want people to die. Right. And that's not the case. I don't want people to die from pneumonia. I don't want people to die from COPD, but I don't take massive measures against it. You know, I work in a hospital environment. I don't take massive measures against, you know, MRSA. In fact, people are going in there without the correct PPE because they're trying to conserve PPE for COVID. So, like, do, we, catch COVID like, do we not care about MRSA anymore? Do we not care about influenza? And, you know, COVID is not the flu. It's not the same thing. COVID is far more contagious. It's hitting far more people. We don't have the acquired immunity to it. So, you know, if you were to look at the numbers, in December 2019, there were greater than 10 cases per 100,000 people in Erie County. And that's less than COVID and resulting in far less fatalities. But there's a graphic on channel four that shows all the counties. I don't know if you've seen it and it splits them out and it shows the amount of confirmed cases. Right. So Erie County just got over 6,000 cases at the time of this recording. So 6,000, you look at that number and you're like, wow, that's pretty terrible. 
But then you look at Erie County's got 918,000 people. So when you do the math, which I've done here, the percentage of the population that has been infected is 0.65%. So it's less than one out of 100. Now, total deaths are around 500. So the total death percentage in that population of Erie County is 0.054. So do you imagine if you took those numbers and instead of saying 6,000, you put 0.65? <laughs> it wouldn't be as scary, right? right? People wouldn't be as up in arms about it. And it's kind of the middle ground, right? So it's not that it shouldn't be taken seriously. It's not that it, we shouldn't be doing something about it. It's just, I think we went way overboard. And my stance from the beginning has been, the fact that we went so far overboard is actually going to hurt us more than it's going to help us. So one of the problems is people argue that if it just saves one life, have you heard that before? I've heard that a lot. Right. So if I can take this measure and it just saves one person's grandmother and it just saves one person's daughter, it saves one person's kid, then it was worth it. But that's a gross statement and not as in a disgusting statement, gross as in I'm saving one life gross but how many lives am I costing net? And that's what people don't look at. Right. So when we sledgehammer shut down the economy, we're looking at, um, we, okay, we shut down schools. So let's talk about kids, right? Huh. Now, two to three months of phys ed have been lost. So that is a minimum guaranteed four to five hours a week of physical activity gone, just like that. So, okay, no big deal. Like my, my daughter's in dance, my son's in this. No, they're not, they're closed down. <laughs> so their phys ed is gone at school, their activity is gone at school, their recess is gone at school, then their dance, their jujitsu, their youth sports are all gone. Well, they can go to the playground, right? Nope, that's closed too. So what percentage of those kids, and I don't know this answer, we won't know it for a long time, will have musculoskeletal injuries when they do return to activity? So how many kids are gonna come back to gym class in September? Five pounds heavier, 10 pounds heavier, less active over the entire summer not going to amusement parks, not going to playgrounds, not going to dance or jujitsu. They're gonna come in and start getting musculoskeletal injuries. These kids whose screen time has gone up, what's gonna to happen to them in their fight against obesity? So if you take a kid and at an important point in their life, add 10 pounds to them, 10 useless pounds, right? And decrease their movement, you've kind of set them up against obesity for the rest of their life. And not only that, you set habits. Right, That's exactly. That's the problem that I have. It's such habits of kids doing nothing. Right. Like, you know how hard it is to get forced to go out and do something? He's like, let's go out and do something. He's like, everything's closed. I don't want to do anything. Right. And they're scared to go out. My son is scared to go out. Right. And he's a pretty smart kid, but he's still. But again, he sees all that stuff yep. that I talked about before, the masks and the pictures of the empty store shelves. I mean, we saw pictures of empty store shelves of toilet paper, and people went crazy. <laughs> like, oh, my God, I have to go buy any type of toilet paper. Like, I would never buy one ply, but ooh, maybe I should <laughs> now, you know? So... And that's just kids, that's one-fifth of the population. Right. What about the non-elderly adults? That's three-fifths of the population. So you have a, a set of adults who, if they, what if they have a sedentary job, right? That's essential, they work for a medical billing, they work for medical supply, whatever. So they have a sedentary job, then they go home, their activity is the gym. Their activity is coming to martial arts, their activity is doing this, their activity is doing that. Well, not anymore. So now you've taken adults who are already more prone to putting on weight and obesity, now you've taken them and you've thrown them in the pool as well. So my initial argument the entire time was that this sledgehammer approach, gross, is going to save lives. It's going to save, it's going to stop grandma from getting in, it's going to stop your young daughter from getting in, it's going to stop the immunocompromised from getting it at the expense 
of all of these health conditions. And if you just talk about obesity, and we, I sent you the article about the quarantine 15. Yes. Where, I mean, if things shut down, it doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect me. But we're not the norm. You'll go get your exercise and an activity no matter what. I'll go run the gorge the same as I was doing Integrity before. Integrity challenge. Integrity <laughs> challenge, right. <laughs> and you look at Instagram, I'm constantly posting stuff about running in the gorge, doing something. You and I will get our activity. People who are already active, that's not going to change. They're going to get their activity in. But what about the people who are on that ledge and have, they haven't developed that habit. It's not ingrained in them. Now they just dropped off the table. And obesity is linked to just about every chronic health condition. And you, know, you could probably name almost all of them. Right. I mean, diabetes, heart issues, pulmonary issues, vascular issues, endocrine issues, stress, anxiety, mental health, all of these things. So we start to add all of these health components on to a healthcare system that won't be able to handle it five years down the road. Because look at what's happening in the hospitals and private systems right now, they're hemorrhaging money. So when this is over per se, meaning that everybody's lost interest, the economy's gone back to normal, well, these hospitals and private institutions are gonna say, well, we can't survive at this rate, we have to cut and cut and cut. So now you have more healthcare conditions with a healthcare system that has been gutted. So you have less access to healthcare, and we haven't even talked about poverty yet. No, we or the even, economic impact, or any of that. Which stuff. is all that. So, you know, a lot of things follow poverty. Crime is one of them. So, impoverished areas have higher crime. We know that. So, are you tacking that on? Which I'm not an expert, and I'm not qualified to talk about. So, I'll leave that right there. But impoverished areas also have lower healthcare. They have lower access to healthcare. They have lower access to food, um, or good food, I should say. And they tend to be more desperate and worse decision makers over time, given poverty. So you've cut all these businesses, you've wiped out all these small businesses, which will not come back like this, you know? And my concern is people always thought, well, the economy will rebound. Yes, it will, of course it will. But, and as long as there's a demand for the service, the service will reappear over time. So 50 jujitsu gyms can shut down. If there's a demand for it, 50 will pop up. But what happens in that time period? What happens to the people who, that's their only form of income. What happens to them? They lost everything and now they're back at nothing or they have to get a job that, you know, in an economy that might not be hiring, they're taking a job for far less than what they were making. They're, they've now been knocked down to lower class economically. Yeah, or you have a real job that's not a jiu-jitsu gym job that pays your insurance and all of a sudden you're working at a barely above minimum wage job that has no insurance and you have these health effects from not doing anything for however long this quarantine goes on for and the hospital systems get gutted and your practitioners are seeing multiple at a time because they have to try to get back on their feet or they have no support this is a huge problem and this was the problem i always rallied against where i thought why are we hitting the entire world with a sledgehammer to shut it down it's what i'd never understood but again we went to that binary thing where people said well you're against this measure you want people to die and then people explain to me like I'm some sort of fucking uneducated idiot. I mean, I have a doctorate. I have a medical license. I understand <laughs> these things. People, people never countered my exact point. They just told me what flattening the curve meant. Right. Like, I know what flattening the curve means. It's not hard to figure out. And flattening the curve is actually a good thing. I was never against flattening the curve. But now, unfortunately, the goalposts got moved. Right. Because That's what everyone's saying. So flattening the curve, we'll go through the, the abridged version. Flattening the curve was just meant to stop the amount of new cases and hospitalizations so that it didn't over 
um, reach an area that the hospitals could, could take. If they can take 1,000 people, we don't want 1,300 cases coming in the door. We can't handle it. So flatten the curve. Awesome. But unfortunately, flattening the curve turned into stopping the spread. And that's not possible. You can't stop the spread of this. We can't stop the spread of the flu. We just live with it, right? And COVID is going to be the same thing. We're just going to live with it from here on out. I'm going to walk into hospital rooms. I work in a hospital. I'm going to walk into hospital rooms two years from now. There's going to be COVID precautions on the door. I'm going to don the proper PPE just like I would do for MRSA, influenza, VRE. It doesn't matter. It's going to be the same thing two years down the road. So my question is, isn't, don't they think that everyone's eventually going to catch this? I mean, isn't, isn't that what's going to happen? Because we're probably not going to have a vaccine for it, at least not for a year or two. And we have a vaccine from the flu and people still die from that. Right. So, <laughs> so like, how long can you keep shut down for? That was my whole right. thing too. I thought, first of all, I thought flattening the curve wasn't handled well. I think you should have like had able-bodied people still work and, you mm -hmm. know, people that are sick stay home or even like an alternating thing. So you still have people working because you want the least amount of people contracting the disease while you're still keeping your economy running. That's what I always thought. Well, but I mean, maybe I'm not that smart. Well, no, you have the right idea, but um, I think you're missing a key component of it. So when Fauci was tasked with the idea of how do we handle this? Dr. Fauci. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know who so yeah. he, he gave you the solution. The solution is correct for that lens, for that one variable. He's right. You know, flatten the curve, stop the spread. Here's all the things you should do. Leadership's role, and I'm not, I'm not going to make this political. Leadership's <laughs> role, doesn't matter who it is, governors, local, federal, doesn't matter. Their role is to say, okay, if we apply this, what are the other effects? Okay, we can only apply this in a half measure. We can only do this. We can only do that because shutting everything else down isn't worth it. So my belief was we should have done selective quarantining. Hospitals should have had no visitors, nursing facilities, ALFs, et cetera, SARS. I'm using just acronyms here for medical places. They should have been shut down as much as possible. No, as little contact in and out as possible. But incentivize the rest of the economy, which would have been open, to bolster the healthcare system. So you work at a machine shop, right? All sorts of other manufacturing places. Couldn't the government have said, we will give you a tax break. We will give you this contract to make these parts to help the hospital. Right. Wouldn't that have been a hell of a lot cheaper than paying an extra $600 on top of the unemployment they're already paying to all these people? Wouldn't it have been a lot cheaper to bolster the economy and incentivize the economy? You could even, to some degree, mandate saying, you have the ability to make masks. We want, we want to kind of not take over your business. That's not the right way to say it but sort of forced you to make the mask. We'll pay you for it. Right. You know, we're not going to hurt your business, but we need this done and we're going to keep all of you guys going. Wouldn't that have been a better option? No, World War II-esque. Right, exactly. Everything here is going to support this arm because this arm is in crisis. That, that to me, that made so much more sense than just everything shut down because everything's a domino effect, right? So a hospital, just like any other business or industry, doesn't stand on its own. The hospital needs everything else in industry to support it because we think of hospitals and like, oh, they don't have enough PPE. Well, they serve three meals a day to all their residents. They serve meals to their employees. So where does that come from? Oh, we need to open up that arm of business. Okay. They do cleaning. Oh, we have to open up that arm of business. So instead of saying shut everything down and then selectively open things up while you put everything in the chaos, why not just leave it open, selectively shut down? Right. It just seemed like we got it backwards. The intentions were good. Everything was well-intentioned. It wasn't sneaky. I don't think it was 
you know, anyone taking a shit on the Constitution and trying to take us over. You know, some people think that. I don't. What about now? What do you mean, what about now? (laughs) Well, I, I still don't think that it was anything sneaky. I think any situation in life, people are going to learn how to capitalize on it. It's not that they created the situation. They say, okay, well, this is the situation. How can I capitalize on it? That's all it comes down to. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I don't, I'm not saying it was a conspiracy. I'm just thinking like a lot of other states are opened up way more than us. And it seems like there's not really that big of an adverse effect. Well, um, there, there's something interesting. And again, I, I don't, I don't want to politicize anything. But when you talk about New York, there's a third word that needs to be put in there. <laughs> and that third word often gets dropped and insinuation happens. Right. So it's either New York City or New York State. Right. And eventually when you drop it, People are talking about New York City, and they're applying it to the oh, rest of the state. Right. So I don't think that was reasonable. And they have been doing region-by-region region stuff, but that came way too late. You know, I think shutting off downstate to travel, not you know, non-essential travel, would have been fine. Leaving the rest of the state open to do what the rest of the state does anyway, support New York City. And not in a bad way. We support New York City. New York City gives the rest of the state an incredible amount of political power and economic power. Right. So... Yeah. You know, New York City is not a cancer sitting at the bottom of the state. We work together, but they can't support themselves just like Chicago and Illinois can't support itself. L.A. and California can't support itself. The rest of the state should have been left open to support New York City and the tri-state area in general, which got hit really hard. Right. But (laughs) got hit really hard. 18 million people in New York City confirmed COVID cases as of right now around 203,000. That's 1.13 percent. Wow. And what's the death rate on that? 0.092. I thought the people <laughs> that kill people at like 2% or 2.5%. Certain populations. Well, that's what they thought because, again, we were looking at different populations. Right. So we had a bias number. So if, you know, bias numbers happen when you only see a certain amount of population. When I worked at a different PT clinic, we would get patients that came in from a different PT clinic, and they all said the same thing. Oh, that place is terrible. Well, that place wasn't necessarily terrible. We were just dealing with people who didn't go there in the first place. Like if, if, if you're a Pepsi vendor and you're dealing with people that are buying Pepsi, they're going to say Coke is terrible. Right. Or I prefer Pepsi. But then you say, oh, everybody prefers Pepsi. So what you're seeing is it breaks out in a nursing facility. A bunch of people die and it's like, oh, this is the death rate. And that's not true. Because we didn't have a way to test to see how many people in the rest of the community had it. Right. So actually... My argument would be that these numbers would actually be lower by percentage because we have far more people that have it that didn't die. Yeah. They just never got tested. And we'll find out more as the antibody test goes around, especially if they require it to work. Right. So I think we're going to find that this wasn't nearly as deadly as we thought. It should have been taken seriously. Just the measure I thought was way overstepping, way heavy handed. And again, when you talk about that fear that I talked about before, everything adds up. The media does this, and it's not any one media outlet's fault. It's all of them together. It's, again, that irresponsibility thing, right? Drip, drip, drip. They're all responsible for the flood. That type of pressure and that type of fear forces the people in charge to do something. And they would rather do too much than too little. You know, nobody wants to be the superintendent that doesn't close school, and then the bus slides off the road and kills 10 kids. So you don't want to be that, and you don't want to be the governor that didn't shut your state down and your state has a triple death rate to everybody else. Like, you don't want that to happen. So I think they were heavy-handed with it, right. unnecessarily. And I think it's going to hurt more of us than it's going to help. And I think it's going to hurt our healthcare system way more than it's going to help it, and that was always my initial point. Do you think the states are 
different enough that you can't really take the numbers from like say Texas or Florida a state that's more open than us and then compare it to what we're doing because it's a little bit different like they don't have the mass population in New York City all squeezed into one place right so it to to put New York City's measures or even New Jersey's measures against what they're doing in South Dakota isn't reasonable because I mean New York's New York City by itself just the five boroughs their population is more than Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Montana put together. So what's going on in Iowa, you can't apply that directly to Illinois and New York State, especially the tri-state area. So, yeah, there's differences between the states, but that's always been the case. So, again, the measures should not have been as heavy-handed as, as they were for New York City. What, what New York City needed, what Chicago needed, was not what Western New York needed. And certainly what Allegheny County didn't need, which they, I don't know how Allegheny County got stuck in Erie County. They don't even share a border. <laughs> and they got stuck in the same region as Erie County. Like those people must have been pissed, which oh, I don't blame them. I can't imagine. I wanted to get over one more thing before we got here because yeah. it's something that you kind of opened my mind to. I listen to Joe Rogan podcast all the time because obviously he's the gold standard of podcasts. Absolutely. And he always talks about how um, the death rate, the death rate from COVID is higher than the average age of death. And then you made a really good point that uh, I never thought of before. And you're like, the average death rate is just the cumulative from the time people die when they're a baby right. to the time they're old. And uh, so it's not really quite the cor correlation that we think it is. Right. So life expectancy is what most people are talking about. And life expectancy for males around 74, for female around 76, for a variety of reasons. But that doesn't mean that you hit 74, you're probably going to die. What that means is that's just the average. So what tends to happen, and I don't know the exact number or the percentage, but it's significant that if you reach 65 years old, your chances of getting far past life expectancy go way up. Your chances of getting to 80 are really good because we're taking into account auto accidents, infantile deaths, um, deaths during pregnancy, uh, people who are dying in their 30s or even at less than one years old. Those all factor in. So that number really gets dragged down. So it's kind of a upside down bell curve it's not as many people are dying at 74 as we think it's just that's life expectancy right you know when we average it all out so so that that really doesn't make a big difference on the covid number than the age of death not as much because um, it could still be killing people way earlier than they would normally die at yeah what, what tends to be the the biggest factor is not just age because age tends to lead to poor health all right so if, if you are 90 years old the likelihood that you have a smaller health base that you can't stack another piece on like COVID is higher than it is if you're 30. So, you know, and there's a lot of different ways people look at 30 years old, right? Um, you know, you and I, we're both 42. Uh, 42 for us doesn't look like 42 for everybody else, right? <laughs> there's a lot of people who are 42 that are a complete mess. Right. So, you know, you can get COVID, I can get COVID, and we'll probably be fine, right? And in fact, you were. <laughs> I, I've you, never actually officially tested. So oh, I can't okay. Say so you can't say you had it for sure. And I don't want to get the antibody test because I don't want to get screwed at work because then if I do catch it, <laughs> I have to take 14 days off on paid and I can't afford that. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Which is another problem, which we're, we don't know. I know we don't have time to talk about that. But um, yeah, if you just have a lower health base, COVID is more likely to kill you just as you get older. That tends to happen. And if you're in a nursing home, there's a reason for you being in a nursing home. You can't take care of yourself and your caretakers can't take care of you. So there's a reason you're there. You have a low health base. So. Yeah. All right, I got to know what you want to say about not mm -hmm. being able to get paid for 14 days. 
Well, it's not a matter of that you don't want to get paid for 14 days, but what that does is you are not alone in the idea that, well, I'm just going to kind of sweep this under the rug and kind of beat the screen as best I can because I can't afford to take this hit, right? So if you're not alone, if there's thousands of people doing this, then we're not accomplishing the goal with these screens, right? Right. So the screens are useless and adding to the fear monger. I shouldn't say useless. It's not the right word, but they're not as effective as we wanted them to be. I kind of think what happened with a lot of the screening and a lot of the measures that you saw at Walmart and Wegmans and everywhere else was they didn't know what to do. So they just did something. And we need to do more and more and more plexiglass now, six feet apart, um, count how many people are coming in, stop people from coming in if there's too many. We don't know what to do, but that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> and the store next door has done more than us. Oh, that means they care more that we, now we have to do more. So then they add another measure. And again, all these measures are adding to the fear and adding to the economic problems and the healthcare problems. And again, people like you, not in a bad way. You're just, you're looking out for yourself because nobody else is, right? Right. I can't take 14 days unpaid. So I'm going to slam my multi-symptom cold and flu, knock my fever down and. I know my place is encouraging <clears throat> us not to be sick. <laughs> right. Come in. Just come on in or they're going to replace you. Yeah. And then that puts you in a bad economic spot, which. Yeah. Drives you down and drives you into a lower healthcare situation. So yeah, there it is. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So. To end this, if I gave you a magic wand, what do we do about COVID? What, what should we be doing right now at this stage? At this stage, again, we should be having limited to no visitation in hospitals, nursing facilities. Force is going to yank on the door, and it's going to be locked, and he's going to be sad. <laughs> oh, it's not locked, so he's going to start talking, and then it's going to get picked yeah. up by the mic. Oh, he's being quiet. He's good. He's been yeah. on this podcast more than I he have. Knows so. He knows works. how it works. We're doing so. a wrap-up right now, bud. <laughs> so, yeah, we, I would have the selective... Um, shut down, selective lack of visitation, and everything would be open up. And again, this is just something we're going to have to live with. Just like we have to live with the flu, like we have to live with MRSA, like we have to live with everything else. It's not going away. Nobody wants anyone to die, but we have to be grown-ups in healthcare and say people do die. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't get all bent out of shape and like I have to do something about pneumonia because someone I worked with died of pneumonia. It is what it is. You know, cancer is no different. And one of the other problems, and I don't want to go too far off into this, but we're treating COVID as if it's the only disease process out there, and that's not true. Um, you know, people close to me are going to get cancer treatment, and the Ronald McDonald houses and the Hope houses are not taking people because of COVID. That's what they're there for. They're there to take people who are immunocompromised and take people who are going out of town for treatment, and now they can't get it. So I'm not the only one that has this issue. So how many other people are dealing with the same type of thing? Unintended side effect. Again, I think everybody was well, well intentioned. Just they short sighted. They only saw this far in front of their face. Smart people, uneducated people, educated people. It didn't matter. Well intentioned. They just got scared. And the problem is it always comes down to the people with the most money can afford to be healthy yeah. and then everyone else can't afford it. And then they're the one that's going to suffer. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's just like I, everything else. I'm, I'm middle class. My business is still going. Um, I haven't taken a major hit. I've taken a hit, but not a major one. I still work at a hospital. The hospital is not going to shut down. So I'm okay. Not me. Open up the gyms. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I agree with you. Open them up. Uh, what we do you think we, about gyms? You think it's safe to train? 
Yeah, I think so. And I think we should be because I think we should be getting our acquired immunity. I think we should be, you know, working all this stuff. I think people need this stuff for anxiety, mental health, physical health, and all those other things to stop that piling on the healthcare system down the road. The longer we stay shut down, the worse the problem down the road is going to be. And unfortunately, we're not going to get any help in the healthcare system down the road. We're getting everybody's attention now. Five years from now, it's going to be two big middle fingers to the healthcare system. You figure it out. You deal with it. You know, when when people are when diabetes type two spikes up in five years, what do you think people are going to say? Well, they shouldn't have been drinking soda. <laughs> should have exercised more. Yeah, they should have exercised more. And you're right, but you know, people don't, and that's why these other services exist. You know, again, people like you and I, unfortunately, we're not the norm. We're going to be active no matter what. They could lock us in our house and we'll still be active. We'll still do something. A lot of the people fall off the cliff and bigger healthcare problems down the road. Unfortunate. So for people that are scared to go to the gym, how safe would you say like a, a box gym would be like a Bally's or a, a LA Fit or a Gold's Gym, something like that? I think it'll be fine. Pretty I safe? Mean, yeah. I mean, it's actually probably going to be safer than it was before because people are probably more in tune to washing their hands. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I went to gyms. I used to work at a large box gym for over a decade. People would not wash their hands after the bathroom. People would walk around naked in the locker rooms and just leave their stuff hanging out, sit down on the – I think people are actually – it's kind of like we hit the reset button on making like, hey, you know what, brush your teeth, wash your hands, take care of yourself, clean up after yourself, don't leave your stuff laying around. I just want to mm -hmm. say one thing about uh, like jiu-jitsu places. A lot of uh, inspectors have been coming into the jiu-jitsu places that are open and they're like really fascinated by how well they actually clean the gym because we're used to dealing with – MRSA, mm -hmm. ringworm. ringworm. Everything's mm -hmm. got to be cleaned every training session yeah. because it can't not be or you're going to get stuff anyway. And there's a there's a nice sort of internal social check there. Um, if the person's coming in with a smelly ghee, everybody's telling them about it. Like, dude, <laughs> That's for sure. go wash your ghee. Mm -hmm. Dude, go take a shower. You can't come into this place stinking. You can't, mm -hmm. like, I don't want ringworm. Right. You know, Especially you, if they walk off the feet or go into the bathroom and, like, what are you doing, man? Wash your hands. Make sure you got something on your feet. Right. I mean, you, you're not walking on mats with outside shoes on you kidding me yeah. not in the jiu-jitsu place people walk in with outside shoes all the time into gyms and go walk around in the group exercise floor that you go sit down on right so i think places are actually going to be a little bit cleaner I, I think we should be opening up quicker because we've hit the reset button on things we've kind of gotten people's habits back to here's the basic cleanliness you should be doing because if you looked at a lot of the cdc recommendations it was just shit you should have been doing in the first place wash your hands <laughs> wash your hands don't sneeze on people <laughs> like I before COVID, I, you'd be wrong for me to sneeze right in your face, right. you know. So, and I shouldn't have been coughing in your plate in your face in the first place. If you notice, we do this podcast with no mask. There you go. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's people have been told before: if you have the flu, don't come to work. Right. Right. <laughs> so, if you have COVID, don't come to work. Right. It's like the stuff isn't hard. It's just again, people got scared, and the people in power responded over overwhelmingly all right so it's probably safe to get a haircut uh, maybe i got my haircut yeah no shame probably <laughs> safe to roll it, it's safe to roll we've rolled yeah and it was amazing because we you came over to my house and we rolled and i didn't die no like i mean i died because you beat the crap out of me <laughs> but um yeah i didn't die like four days later it's no. amazing it's amazing how that worked and you know i deal with covid patients at the hospital for all the people on social media, like, oh, you should work in the hospital and figure out how you feel differently. <laughs> I do work with COVID people. I have a medical license. What the fuck do you think I do all day for a living? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it is what it is.
All right. Well, I appreciate your time. This is a huge topic. Maybe not so much with the recent goings on in the world, but it's going to be back to huge in a minute when you can't do anything in stage two. That's right. All right. All thank right, you very, very much yep. for your time. I yep. appreciate it. Uh, one more time, one more plug for your business because you're still open even though I'm not. Yeah, Performance Rehabilitation Training in North Tonawanda, New York. We're still open. I'm still seeing people privately. I've actually, we just started seeing a couple of kids because they've been less active. Haven't been able to do the jujitsu and not getting the PE that we talked about in schools. So if you're concerned that your kids aren't um, being as active as you want them to be, it's a good time to come in. So if you need an appointment, 716-601-8351, or you can email me at drkrolpt, drkrolpt, at gmail.com. Either Don't one forget about Integrity Martial Arts. I can't do anything with you guys right now, but I'm still putting out the Integrity Challenge, so make sure you guys are doing it. Don't let my wife, Karis Kai, beat you guys every week like she's been doing. Hell yeah. All right, with that, we're out. See ya. No Ray. No Ray.